when you first started doing the DJing, when did mm -hmm. it occur to you that you had this, um, this intuitive link to people's behavior and how you connected like their responses to music? Because a lot of that, unfortunately, goes over most people's heads and they don't really, they don't really pay attention to it. But you were dialed in. Do you know what gave you such um, insight and and just you know focus into into the observation of it was really amazing yeah. that you even thought to do that. Well, Toronto, which is where I am and where I cut my teeth as a DJ, is a very difficult market, <laughs> and and the market will let you know when you're not doing well or screwing up. You know, they're not shy about letting you know. It's a very musical city. So I didn't have any other choice other than to be intuitive and to pay attention to what was happening on the dance floor. And and now here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Hey, 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 it's a beautiful day. Hey, uh, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be back with you guys. And do me a favor, if you would, please forward this episode to someone who's going to dig the content in here because this is a lot about music. It's a lot about um, songs and where they belong, how they find a home, and how people who need music find a home. Because we're hanging with the guy who's all about sound and music to help brands win. We're going to talk about music, marketing, advertising, audio branding, and entrepreneurship. And this gentleman, he is the vice president of Song Trader. I know you guys have heard of Song Trader. It's the world's largest B2B music company, delivering the only full stack solution for all business music needs. What does that mean? We're going to find out. Strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride to Toronto, Canada from the Music City to hang out with Shiz Mera. Shez, um, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. I have Shez Mera here, and um, you are from Song Trader. And what is your official position there now? I am, well, first off, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, James. Nice to meet you. Um, I am the VP of Growth for our music solutions at Song Trader and also Massive Music, which is one of our creative service agencies that we own. Wow. Awesome. Um People tune in, a lot of musicians listen to this and creatives. And uh, so this is gold for everybody today. So I'm really delighted <laughs> to, uh, to have you here and to, you know, to pick your brain on on helping um, us musicians and creatives and songwriters and so forth out there in the world. But your company does um, a lot more than that. And I want to get into that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your past, Shez, and you know, for the longest time, I was trying to get DJs on my show and I couldn't seem to get anybody. Now I got the whole enchilada. I got you who does all the, <laughs> these creative things and, and you're a licensing guy. Like you've got all of these hats that you've collectively put together and poured this focus and energy into this um, and into this one thing that you're doing now. But when you started, did you start as a DJ? Because you're many things, you're a producer, you're creative. 
So how did the mm-hmm. journey begin for you in the world of music? Sure. I'll do my best to uh, wrap this up as succinctly as possible. So I immigrated to Canada when I was 10 years old from a little island called Bahrain. And when I landed up in March of 1996 in the middle of a snowstorm, having never seen snow before, I found it really difficult to fit in with the other kids. So while everyone else was playing street hockey after school, I found myself shoveling driveways for 20 bucks a pop. And without really understanding, those were the roots of entrepreneurship for me. And, you know, eventually what ended up happening was I heard a record on the radio. I forget which one. It was a hip hop record and it had scratching in it. So someone was scratching a record on the chorus and I was enamored by that sound off a vinyl being scratched and cut up. And at about 12 years old, I went deep down this rabbit hole off collecting vinyl. I began hoarding records, finding collections that were being thrown out and grabbing all of them and just amassing as many records as I could from all genres, all eras, 12 inches, LPs, 45s, even 78s. But here's the kicker. I didn't yet have any turntables to play these things on. So while I was doing all of these odd jobs as an entrepreneur from paper roots to you know, shoveling driveways and all kinds of other things. It was because I wanted to save up enough money for a set of turntables so I could then go ahead and manipulate all these records and mix them and scratch them. So on my 15th birthday, I treated myself to a pair of turntables, having saved up enough. And uh, that's really where the journey began for me. Records, mixing records, DJing, going to DJ battles, watching these guys and girls take two copies of the same 12 inch and make something completely net new out of manipulating two copies of the same song. All of these things just blew my mind as a young kid. And so that's the path I went down. I ended up going to school for my bachelor of commerce and economics and marketing. But the whole time I was at school, I was up in my room, cutting my teeth, mixing records, DJing. DJing actually ended up paying for my degree and uh, turned from a hobby and a passion into a full-time career really early on in life. So from about 17 till I was 24, 25, I had managed to travel the world eight or 10 times over from Dubai to Hong Kong, um, you know, China, Amsterdam, Belgium, really playing venues all over the world and understanding how humans react to music often when there's a complete language barrier and cultural barrier, I was sort of the connective tissue and the connective thread to ensure these people had a good time. I was the one that could help them escape their day or whatever situation they were going through, if not for a few hours at a time. And that's when I realized there was tremendous power in music and sound. And although I was DJing these places, what I was actually able to do with these humans around the world was very important. And, And uh, as I took off my DJ hat and dove into experiential marketing around 2010, I led with the premise of, do you know what your brand sounds like? Because I had just experienced the power of sound myself, having traveled the world playing all kinds of events from, you know, AGMs and NSMs and film festivals and corporate galas to nightclubs, all of these situations, sound was the driver and I was the one facilitating the environment. And when I got into marketing, 
in a more traditional sense with entertainment and experiential marketing 2009, 2010, I saw it as a huge misstep that all of these brands and their agencies of record kept talking about multisensorial marketing and brand experiences, and yet sound, music, audio continued to be an afterthought, right? The, the brief was written, the strategy was, was baked in, the creative was done, the media buy was done, and then they would think about sound. And I thought, this is, this is really silly. This is a missed opportunity. What if we took sound and moved it from a post-production conversation right up to the very top of the conversation, sometimes before the brief was even written, um, so we could think you know, meaningfully, intentionally, strategically about how we can use sound, music, and audio to deliver against whatever they were hoping to do with their campaigns and their strategy and essentially connecting with consumers. But consumers are human beings, just like those human beings in those spaces I was DJing for. So that's really how this all came to be for me. Uh, I don't really DJ much anymore, if at all. I haven't played in a number of years now, I've sort of taken off that hat. But so much of what I do today is informed by everything I've learned as a DJ. So, you know, the sentiment still applies, whether it's insatiable curiosity and digging for that right record. You know, marketers could be digging for that one insight that they could glean that could help change the trajectory of how they think about shaping their brand um, and, and so many other lessons that I owe so much to DJing. I'll leave it at that. You know, DJing yeah. really shaped my perspective of the world and afforded me that opportunity to travel the world again several times over understanding how human beings work and think and behave in all of these different settings. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge blessing and, you know, an experience I'm forever grateful for. Can I ask you, when, when you first started doing the DJing, when did it mm -hmm. occur to you that you had this um, this intuitive link to people's behavior and how you connected like their responses to music? Because a lot of that, unfortunately, goes over most people's heads and they don't really they don't really pay attention to it. But you were dialed in. Do you know what gave you such um, insight and and just you know focus into into the observation of it? was really amazing yeah. that you even thought to do that. Well, Toronto, which is where I am and where I cut my teeth as a DJ, is a very difficult market. <laughs> and, and the market will let you know when you're not doing well or screwing up. You know, they're not shy about letting you know. It's a very musical city. So I didn't have any other choice other than to be intuitive and to pay attention to what was happening on the dance floor. And... You know, in those settings as a DJ, you're sort of always thinking three or four records ahead. And you're looking, you're scanning the room, looking at different groups of people. There might be a group of, you know, women that aren't dancing, or here's a group of people that are. And how do you actually, without ever touching a microphone, because I never did, I would just relied on music and music alone. How do you get all of these people on the same page? How do I actually get these people away from the bar and to the dance floor? How do I keep them on the dance floor? Or this record that I thought would go over really well ends up bombing and clears the dance floor. How do I now build that dance floor back up? Those are lessons that I had to go through. I didn't have all of the answers when I started. And I'm still always sort of looking for insights and a better path forward. But, you know, when you're stuck in the mud in that situation, there's no playbook to follow. You have to kind of 
lean on your instincts and and your gut and make choices that will hopefully then pull you back out of that mud and course correct. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I did learn from DJing in terms of intuition, reading a room, having an exchange or reciprocity of energy with the audience in front of you. And all of this applies to marketers today, right? It's like you go in and you do this big pitch to a client you're trying to win and the slide that you think is going to kill it and land you the client ends up bombing and you lose everyone. How do you rebuild in that moment alone? How do you get everyone's energy back and win them again? Those are all things that, you know, you go through as a DJ um, in trying to build a dance floor, build back a dance floor, trying to get different groups of people in a, in a room on the same page. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, it's it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't clear for me. It was sort of this ebb and flow uh, of tinkering and trying. And then, you know, as you do that more and more, you go through those experiences, you, you build a bit of thicker skin and you build a gut sense and a gut check of what you think might work. And more often than not, it ends up working and you go from there. Yeah. The audience tends to teach you everything, you know, just like, uh, you know, for myself, a singer songwriter, I would go out to open mics before I would take a song into the studio and you, you could almost just close your eyes and, and you could feel the energy, whether is this working or is this, this, no, this has to go back and it needs a lot more work. <laughs> They, yeah, they, comedians they, say the same thing too, right? At yeah. like open mics and, and comedy nights and stuff. Yeah, road yeah. testing your material. Is the, it's the best way because, you know, you're, you're in a silo doing this and you figure, yeah, it's really great. But then, no, wait a minute. It, it, the bridge is a terrible and it needs, it needs to be re completely rewritten, you know? Um, the one thing that really annoys me and probably you, when I see a film still to this day, the music almost always makes the film especially these big blockbusters and way at the end <laughs> after the carpenter's helper and the gaffer <laughs> and the lighting assistant and the guy who bought the sandwiches comes all written and produced by and i'm like when are we gonna wake up and realize and you know to your point what you're doing again is just fabulous you're you're shining the light of uh appreciation and opportunity onto uh you know, a whole new strategy or taking a strategy and lifting it up. And and so can we talk about a little bit about, um, you know, Song Trader and what it does for so many different, because uh, I went on there and I really dug through it. But if you could explain for um, solo artists, sure. singer songwriters, bigger brands, how do you guys help them? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Song Trader began really as a marketplace to license your music through for both the supply and the demand side. And what I mean by that is on the supply side, you have creators, you have musicians, you have rights holders, many of whom that were independent. So, you know, we built it to give them a platform to monetize their music and get better placements and just opportunity. On the other side of that, the people that needed that music, their marketers, their brands, their agencies making stuff, they're making campaigns, and they're making content and they need music. So that's sort of the ethos as to how and why SongTrader was founded to make that whole process um, more fluid and more respectful for the artists, with better splits and all that type of stuff. It was addressing some systemic issues that the founder, uh, Paul Wiltshire, realized were apparent. He was also a musician. So he'd gone through these pains himself and thought, hmm, 
there has to be a better way that is in favor of the creators and the artists and it doesn't seem to exist. So I'm going to go out there and build it myself. Um, Almost 10 years later, a lot has changed at this current day and age song trader is the world's largest uh, ecosystem of B2B music for brands. And what I mean by that is we are really building an ecosystem when it comes to music and brands. So yes, part of that is licensing. Uh, on the same premise on which the company was founded upon, right? That foundational service is still there. You can go there and license music and buy music. That's fine. But what we've done beyond that is a number of things. We've acquired quite a few companies now, I think 11 in the last three years with Big Sync Music. Big Sync does all of the music licensing for Unilever and their 400 brands globally uh, with SongZoo, with MusicCube, with Massive Music, a leading creative services agency in the sonic branding and sonic identity and music strategy space. So by assembling all of these pieces of the puzzle under one umbrella or one mothership, what we're doing is building out a position in the market that doesn't currently exist. We're taking all of these pieces and therefore making it really easy and doing it in a value added way. So if you're a brand and you need music for your campaign, great, we can do that, right? Through licensing, amazing music. But if you are Colgate, their client, and you want to take your visual identity, the iconic Colgate smile, right? The red smile that everyone knows visually, and you want to basically encapsulate the sonic version of that and launch it in over 200 plus markets, well, how do you do that? So that's a problem we help them solve, right? Other people need help with their compliance. There's big, big brands that are spending a lot of time and money, both above and below the line on content, commercials, and all this stuff. And they have no rigor or guidelines around what they're doing sonically or musically. So therein presents another opportunity for us to come in as stewards, as guardians, and help them to say, look, you have your visual and verbal guidelines all sorted out you know they're quite stringent as a matter of fact you you can't leave this much space around your logo and when someone writes about you it has to be in this tone but the sonic personification of that is is nil it doesn't exist and so we come in and help these brands make sure that they are in harmony everywhere they exist whether it's in an event the hold music when someone calls them you know, is there an application? Are there product sounds and notification sounds? There's clearly traditional advertising, right? TV and radio. But now there's a whole new plethora of advertising through UGC and user-generated content, everything happening below the line. You have all of these things happening in a very disparate, fragmented way. And we're saying people are listening more than ever. And we know that sound impacts human beings in profound ways so why don't we get ahead of this and actually help you fix it so that we build rigor and guidelines around your sound everywhere you exist to the same capacity that you have guidelines around your visual and verbal identity so visual verbal sonic sonic is really where we play where we help that might mean music for a spot that might mean original composition could mean a re-record, could mean a sonic brand or sonic logo or sonic identity system, could mean 
UX and UI sounds for an app, right? Right. And and that's sort of the larger question now is like, well, when you close your eyes, most of the world's brands disappear. So we don't want to be there. But what does that then mean? How do we show up if someone can't see us? And we know that today people are busier than ever. You know, they're driving, they're driving around, doing groceries, driving their kids around. Well, they can't consume information in a binary way. They can't read something while they're driving a car, but they can listen. Yeah. So as brands, we're saying, hey, people are listening and streaming and everyone is walking around with ear pods in all day long. This presents a really great opportunity to connect to the hearts and minds of these consumers you aspire to transact with to not only build affinity and salience, but tr- truly get your message through to them. Right. And so that's sort of the larger mission of Song Trader now as a group is like, we can help when it comes to sound music or audio from a strategy perspective, from a compliance perspective, from a content perspective. It really depends who within the organization or company we're looking to help because we can help different teams, the product team, marketing team, operational team. Can we get hours back to somebody? Can we help the legal team to make sure that they're not going to get sued for something silly they did simply because they didn't have any guidelines or rigor around what they were telling their employees they could or couldn't do, right? So these all present really unique ways for us to solve big business challenges that often go overlooked or unthought about. And, uh, you know, we are here to like point out those leaks on their ship and help patch them up so that their ship can sail to the destination in a smoother, a smoother way to, so to speak. Yeah. My, uh, my compliments to um, to the organization. I was checking you guys out on Wikipedia this morning, and I was astonished at the level of commitment over the last 10 years. It wasn't like you put this business together and just sat on it and just, you know, it was like every year or every two years, another acquisition. And I could just see it gobbling up like, you know, like it, it was obvious that there was a there was a procedure and a goal in mind. And then I, I really had no idea that you guys are the largest in the world. So my 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 uh, congratulations to you on that. Um, what's the yeah, biggest part of your day, uh, Shez, in this new um, role that you're doing now? You're not doing the DJ, but you are doing creative things, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what what's your favorite part of the things that you oversee at Song Trader? Yeah, I love, honestly, I love listening to the market and having conversations and understanding where people's heads are at and where their what their goals are because more often than not they haven't really thought about how to solve for those goals or aspiring to reach those goals through sound music and audio as a catalyst to do so and that's always interesting because you know someone could say oh i wish we could get more time back or I wish our spaces sounded better at our hotels, or, you know, I wish it was just easier to get everyone on the same page around what we're doing musically. So every time we produce a commercial or a spot, there's not 50 chefs in the kitchen arguing. These are all really unique and differentiated problems. But the really fun part for me is I truly use sound music and audio every day as a red thread to rally all of these different silos and fragmented components of a business together. And usually they've never heard the music conversation, the sound conversation presented in such a way to solve these bigger business challenges that 
constantly thought about it as a spot related production related post-production related thing and so they sort of discounted music and sound and kept it in that bucket and so you know magic happens when you're able to point out how removing it from that bucket and having it go through the rest of the organization can actually help them achieve their business goals you know the light bulbs sort of go off in real time and that magic moment is is something that never gets old for me because it's really actually helping people solve the problems that they're facing and helping them get to where they want to get to in a very unconventional way or unconventional for them. Right. Um, But pointing out exactly how and why this strategy affects this and this and this, and now we're able to check not just the box for the marketing or the production team, but how does this play into what the head of accessibility or DE&I are doing or the operations team and the product team and all of these different, you know, components of the C-suite and getting everyone sort of in harmony on the same page and having that epiphany that, oh, wow, sound and music can truly help us when thought about strategically and intentionally, meaningfully. We didn't, we never knew this. We didn't realize that will never get old for me because it's, it's, you know, it's genuinely helping people in a way that they never expected to be helped. And that's, that's just a lot of fun. Yeah. How about as we're getting close to the end there, how about what do you like to do and for chill time when you want to get away from, from business and just disconnect? Yeah, great question. So um, I have very young humans in my life. All my right. kids are seven, three, and one and a half. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, we listen to a lot of music. Uh, they have their own record collection. So I kept all my old records, you know, Sesame Street and uh, Rafi and all of these things. So now I get to experience music through them again. And that's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I'll say my larger mission is to, and it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's to actually impact the world in a meaningful way through music and sound. And so I'm doing a number of things in the not-for-profit space to actually use music and sound to better humanity. Um, so regardless of all of the business stuff that's happening, you know, when when I eventually leave this world, I think about what will I actually have done to make a real impact. And so, you know, we're working with the Alzheimer's Society to personalize iPods for dementia patients. We're working with Sick Kids Music Therapy Program. And really sound and music is, uh, is not a pill that you can sort of quantify and prescribe to someone but there's a tremendous energy there that can be used for healing and so that's a question that uh i i tackle every day is how can we make the world sound better how can we make hospitals sound better to you know make patient recovery times faster or ease the anxiety or stress levels of practitioners in those settings listening to those beeps or bloops every day um what can we do to use music as a catalyst to bring hope to humanity to help people go through whatever it is they're going through. And so, you know, it's not business related, but very much music related in terms of trying to better the world around us. There's so much fear and anxiety and noise every day thrown at us, especially with social media these days, it's just compounded. And I think the effects of that are really quite detrimental. So how can we, you know, how can we use sound and music to bring more calm to people's lives? How can we help people? That's a, that's a personal mission that I'm deeply invested in. That's awesome. We can start by taking down every TV and every public building and put up a set of Bose speakers. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Zappos, 
um, Zappos, the company, I recently met a gentleman from there. He was their, their chief experience officer during his tenure. And uh, his first week, what he did was he installed a sound system across their entire campus and and started piping in music. And the other thing he did was allow people to bring their dogs in to work or their pets into work. And yeah. those two things transform the trajectory of the company and you know the music stance that he took employee morale and how people felt when they were walking around buildings and campuses and doing whatever they did in a day was transformative right so yeah i mean we can go on and on about this stuff but i i guess the takeaway is that hearing is our most visceral sense it's the very first sense we develop in the womb and so our relationship as human beings with sound is is quite profound, you know, going back millions of years to cavemen and cave women sitting around a fire or sitting in their cave, even how they communicated with one another, it, it was melodic. That's how language actually started forming. And so, you know, come back to millions of years later, everything has changed, but nothing has changed because of how our brains are primed to respond to sound. And sort of that's the main takeaway is like, this is very primal. And regardless of what happens with technology, today it's TikTok, tomorrow it'll be something else. There's always going to be a new channel, a new platform, a new fad. But our relationship with sound and music as human beings, it's not, not going anywhere. So we need to be really mindful of how, how we're thinking about that as we build experiences, as we build products, as we put out marketing messages and communication, right? We don't want to add more noise to the world. Hopefully yeah. we can make the world a little bit better. Amen to that. Um, best <laughs> place for people to reach you, Chez, um, uh, or do you want to give, um, and of course all your links will be in the show notes for people to check out Song Trader, but if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they connect to you? LinkedIn? Sure, or you can email me. It's uh, S-H-E-Z dot M-E-H-R-A at songtrader.com, S-O-N-G-T-R-A-D-R.com, or you can look me up on LinkedIn, fairly active on there, S-H-E-Z-M-E-H-R-A, Shazmara. Um, yeah, send me a request, drop me a note, always happy to have a conversation. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Shaz, for being here and uh, being such an inspiration to so many people, um, especially on this channel. People are real music heads that follow the show and uh, we can't thank you enough. And I just want to, in parting, wish all God's blessings on you, your family, your three beautiful kids, and your career moving forward. Thank you so much, James. It's really kind of you. And uh goes right back at you. I appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I am a champion of the creative community and you know, musicians and artists worldwide. So yeah, I, I welcome all the conversations. Uh, there's a lot going on in my world, but I'll always make time to have the conversation. If I can help anyone in any way, you know, feel free to reach out. Hey, if you guys like what's going on here, please leave a great review in the Apple Podcasts. I've left a simple review process in the show notes and we'd really appreciate it. And also, don't be shy. Forward this to your best friend because you know they need it. Hey, if you need some coaching, hit up the link in the show notes. It's calendly.com forward slash dharmic and you can take a little chance with me, and I'll get you on your way. That's a wrap for me today. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials, or I'll see you from the stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, 
untangle all the mystery If wishes were windows I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of You're the 